0: A.W. Tozer famously said, Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Welcome to The Story of God. We are going to see the story of the whole Bible, written by 40 different human authors, ultimately inspired and breathed by God. Over 1,500 years, 66 different books, but really one story. One overarching story of God's plan, one overarching story of the greatest rescue, the greatest hero, one overarching story that you've been invited into. And the more you understand the story of God, the better you will see your place in his great story.
1: Today is NFL kickoff, right? That's what most of you were thinking, right? Or you probably wouldn't be here. Or I notice, I just want you to notice, know that I notice if you're on your phone and I know what you're doing, you're going to be watching a game, right? Uh, My team uh, from the Midwest, the Colts, they always have game time at 1 p.m. Eastern, which is smack right now. I'm always uh, grateful for kickoffs, but usually the fall kickoff to me really isn't about NFL football. It's about kicking off the fall for us as a church. There's a lot of scattering comings and goings in life, especially in Southern California. But if you want to grab a couple months that everybody can sort of come focused together Uh, During the course of a year, the September, October, through the first couple weeks of November is a great run. And today we are kicking off a new series um, called The Story of God. It's a deep dive going through scripture. It's going to be intense. Uh, But it's not just about what we do here on Sunday morning. As Pastor Michael highlighted, Wednesday nights we are taking the deep dive study And that study is going to consist of you interacting with a book some scripture and some thoughts and uh, reflecting on those four different days of the week and then you're going to come together on a wednesday night and you're going to unpack some of what god spoke to you about and interact on it so those four times eight weeks is 32 lessons plus what we do here on sunday I'm getting a little bit better feel that we're going to be able to cover what stands before me as pastor as an immense responsibility. We need the whole of scripture to make a whole Christian. And we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation in the big story, the picture of God. But I want to just give an extra word of invite for you to be a part of Wednesday night's. And to help me do that, I want to invite up a great couple, Armando and Veronica Alvarez. Would you welcome Armando and Veronica? If you do not know this great couple, you need to get to know them. Uh, How long have you guys been attending here?
2: A little over a year and a half.
1: year and a half, yeah and uh, one of the most consistent, hardworking people uh, that I know in church ministry. And uh, the reason I'm inviting them up is because Wednesday nights is going to be uh, a very unique night for us, uh, not just bringing the families together and having adult groups and, and um, the um, youth group, and we've got kid care if you need it, but we are starting something on Wednesday nights that we've never had here at this church underneath the banner of the awakening before, in that we are going to have a specific Spanish ministry time. Armando, what are you guys doing on Wednesday? Tell us.
2: God bless
0: you. I have my
2: interpret here.
0: Uh, Es un placer siempre estar aquí con ustedes. It is
2: a privilege to be here with you guys.
0: Estamos aprendiendo aquí con ustedes.
2: We are learning here with you guys.
0: Mi nombre es Armando Álvarez. My
2: name is Armando Álvarez. Álvarez. And my wife Verónica Álvarez. Y
0: siempre es un privilegio servir al Señor.
2: It is always a privilege to serve en the lo Lord. In whatever privilegio. they put us. Estamos
0: aquí para ser servidores. We are
2: here to serve
0: the Lord. El pastor estuvo hablando conmigo.
2: A pastor has been talking to me. Y
0: se abrió esta oportunidad de comenzar el ministerio en español de water. And this opportunity
2: opened up to start Rooted in Spanish. Y para es un and for us, it's a big
0: privilege. Y a ustedes. And we would love to invite you guys. Si algún familiar, if Espanol. you have a family that speaks Spanish, Amigo, friend, uh, vecino, a neighbor,
2: familia,
0: family que con esta that
2: would like to enjoy this experience with uh, us,
0: es algo it's something beautiful. Uh, lo hace un año.
2: We took Rooted a year ago.
0: Y todavía está un grupo de que nos juntamos. and
2: we still have our group rooted that we come together hemos
0: estado haciendo en, en casa, estudios bíblicos. we've been
2: doing um, Bible study at our home todavía
0: nos juntamos afuera.
2: still we um, come together outside eh, Dios, hace, uh,
0: Dios transforma vidas
2: God transforms lives.
0: Con personas que quieren conocer más al For those that want to learn more of the Nosotros Lord.
2: So we invite you guys.
0: Que a personas que no hablan bien el idioma. you invite people that don't speak well the language. Eh, uh, estamos aquí para servirles. We are here to serve you. Y también queremos invitarles ese día miércoles. And that day also on Wednesday. Tenemos vamos a, a servir tacos. We are going to be serving tacos. A las cinco y media. 5.30. So no coman en su casa. So don't eat at home. A comer tacos aquí. Come and eat tacos with us. <laughs> also want to invite you. A los domingos tenemos oración aquí de este lado.
2: On Sundays, mornings, we have prayer here on the side. Tenemos
0: a las nueve y media todos los domingos. 9.30
2: every morning.
0: Estamos orando.
2: We are praying.
0: Pidiendo por lo que Dios está haciendo en esta iglesia. Asking for what God is going to do in this church. Porque creo que no solamente yo tengo problemas. Because I know that I'm not the only one that has troubles. Todos tenemos problemas. We all have troubles and problems. Todos tenemos un Dios. But
2: we all have one God. Que todo lo puede that could do it all. He could do it
0: all. Jesús, in palabra, Jesus
2: Christ, the word says, we could all do Amen. it in Christ.
0: Amen.
2: It is a privilege. God bless you.
0: Entonces, decir algo.
2: Uh, yeah, I would like to also take the time to invite you guys, if you know anybody in Spanish, or it's fluid in Spanish, or if you guys want to take the time and do it with us in Spanish, please do it. It's something very, very beautiful, right? <laughs> We've seen it, and our witness, and we're witness to Joe Wally, what God has done from when we started Rooted to now. He's done it in my life, in my family. So I encourage you, and also um, Sunday mornings, please come and pray. Even if you don't pray out loud, and you just want to sit in the circle with us quiet, please come. It's something beautiful. Pastor Troy always says this, to rest our minds and our hearts, and that's a time where we could come together and and do that, to pray for our pastor, his, his family, and the church needs. So thank you for your time, for listening to us, and we'll see you Wednesday.
0: Vamos orar, mi hijo, el pastor que orara. I want you to know
1: multiple things here. Rooted was transformational in your family's life. It was. And the community getting established here, just a huge word of testimony there. This step of faith to do it in Spanish... I mean, this guy can preach. You get that feeling? I, they, um, 33% of people that live in Marietta are Hispanic. Did you know that? That background doesn't mean that they have to have church in Spanish. But there is uh, a great need for us to reach uh, a Spanish-speaking populace that's in our neighborhoods. And for us to be able to do rooted in Spanish, in the Spanish books that's, provided by mariners this is a great step for us and if you know of someone have them talk to veronica or orlando and pray they'll be meeting at the same time that we meet for deep dive deep dive will be meeting in here with groups the english Ruta group and the spanish Ruta group will be meeting out in the commons area in different areas but i want us to pray that god would truly use us as a church ministry to reach into the spanish-speaking community and god has brought us some great workers here and some of you are spanish-speaking as well and i just look forward to what god's doing in the future and the taco thing i've learned in southern california that there are real tacos and there's american stuff This is real taco stuff because this couple here runs a taco restaurant in Hemet. So uh, they are bringing the tacos and the food truck or the food wagon. And so please come 530, right, on Wednesday, this Wednesday. You don't need to interpret. I'm just going to ask Armando, would you pray for this series and for what's coming with Wednesday nights? If you're not a Wednesday night and there's some people that wanted to do Rooted, that I uh, wanted to do a Sunday night. We're not going to be able to provide for that, but we are going to have one deep dive group for Rooted. And uh, Frank and Lori, would you stand real quick? This is the couple you need to talk to if you want to do deep dive on when, on Sunday evening and you can't do it on Wednesday night. Will you pray for us? Thanks. Amen.
0: Señor, te damos gracias, te damos la honra, te damos la gloria, Señor, porque tú eres digno de recibir toda gloria y toda honra, Señor. Ponemos en tus manos, Señor, lo que tú has puesto en el corazón del Pastor Carey, Señor, de los miércoles. Que se haga tu voluntad, Señor, y que tu Espíritu Santo descienda, Señor, sobre estos ministerios, Señor, estos tiempos, Señor, de estudio de tu palabra, Señor. Ministra, Señor, aquellas personas, aquellas parejas, Que van a traer, Señor, tu palabra los miércoles y que tu santo espíritu, Señor, los gobierne y nos ayude, Señor, a transformar almas a través de tu palabra y a través de tu santo espíritu, Señor. Te damos la gloria en el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Oramos y el pueblo de Dios dice, amén. Amen.
1: Thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Armando. All right, I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm on the mission field and doing that interpreting thing, going back and forth. I have um, always wondered if we get so caught up in Bible stories and verses in the Bible and particular doctrines, particular beliefs, that we miss out on the wonder of the greater narrative. Story of what God's doing. I love story and I love to live inside of great story. Some of you in your life right now, you have a story going on and the story's not all that healthy. In fact, it's sort of problematic and there's challenge. But what i found is some of the challenge of our particular story that's going on in the week-by-week world in which we live ends up being harder if we lose sight of the master narrative, the story of God. And so in this series, over these number of weeks, I want to invite you into this grander story and take sort of a hind's on high places, overlook of the valley, the big picture. And find not only the wonder of God's story and what he's doing, but to find afresh your place in that story of what he is doing. And endear yourself to it. Even if the particular story in your life right now really stinks. Because we're going to find in this big picture story that there's some highs and lows. But our sovereign God is in control of all that's going on. There is no sweat on his brow concerning worry about the world. Because he is the one who created it. He is the one who is redeeming it. And he is the one who will make it anew. So in this fast, intense journey of looking at the story of God over these eight weeks, both here on Sunday and on Wednesday nights or a Sunday night kind of thing, I wanna put before you a timeline. In this timeline, we're gonna be returning to time and again and put in the context of that big story so we do not lose sight of it. This is the timeline, pretty simple. We begin with the creation and the fall. Then there's the promise and the people. There's the rescue and the law. There's the land and the kingdom. There is the exile and the return. Then there is Jesus. Then the new people. And finally, a better beginning. All contained in this book right here. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles during the course of these weeks. A lot of times, yes, we'll have verses up here, but as you can imagine, we don't have time to do a deep dive through all the kinds of different scripture we're going to be highlighting in some different places, but I want you to be able to turn and rustle in your Bible and to, to overview it. Being a part of the adult groups of deep dive will enable you to even dig deeper into some of the scriptures. But this timeline that stands before us is the overarching uh, journey that's before us for these eight weeks. And the story of God is going to encapsulate all of this. And the deep dive aspects will be a deep dive into that bigger narrative story. Today, we begin with creation in the fall. Creation, the self-sufficient and eternal God lovingly creates a perfect creation with humanity as his crowning work. That's where we begin. It says this in Genesis 1.1. Do you know what it is? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's where the story starts, right? In the beginning, God. And he took a world that was formless and void, and he created. Now, we're going to walk through the whole creation story, but gather some truth out of this very first statement. In the beginning, God, it's like if you went to a play, the opening night of the play, theater production, and before the curtain goes up, the author of the production, the play, comes out and stands to speak before the audience. He shares a little bit about who he is and why he wrote the play or the drama. But that author of the play does not spend time arguing for his very existence. His existence is assumed. And scripture does that. It doesn't mean that there aren't great logical arguments, the ontological argument, the cosmological argument, the moral law theory argument. There's a lot of great uh, um, apologetics that can go into the existence of God. But in the beginning of this story, God's assumed in the beginning, God, welcome to my theater play. And God tells you and I in this opening verse that he created, he created the heavens and the earth. So guess what? If you create something, have you been working on a project, maybe something from scratch, maybe it's something in the kitchen, you know, that you you, you bake up, maybe it's something in your shop, maybe it's something that you're doing at work, a project you're creating. If you're the creator, guess what? You're the owner of that which is created. And so here we have God's very existence assumed in the beginning, and his word to you and I is, I am here as the creator, but as the owner, I have owned all things. And you walk through and he, you know, he creates the world in the six days kinds of aspect. And, and there's ways to dialogue about that as a little six days, it is seasons, whatever. It doesn't matter. God's powerful enough. He could have done it in six 24-hour periods if he wanted to. But God, as the creator, means that he has a design and a purpose for your life. If you weren't created and you were by random chance, which is some of the thinking and the philosophy of the world, evolution, otherwise, if you just came to be, then you can take that life and do whatever you want to do with your life. You can squander it. You can abuse it. You could even take your very life. It wouldn't matter. But if there's a creator that created your life and mine, then he owns that life, but he has a plan and a design for you. And so there's great hope that comes from the very beginning of this story. And maybe you're at that place in your particular story in life right now going, God, what in the world is going on? Why can't some of these things get resolved or things turned around? Well, when you pray or when you call out to God, even if you're not a follower of God, you can be assured of this, that the designer, the creator, the sustainer of all creation in the universe has a plan in mind. And that plan includes you. He's not dismissive. He's not dismissive of your particular story in his master story that's going on. He has a place for you in it. And there's a couple things to identify up front that you need to know about yourself, though, in the story. And the first is this: you are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.25 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He had created uh, nature. He would created the animals. Then he came to a place that said, I'm going I'm to top it off, and I'm going to create a being that's made in my very image. And so we, as human beings, reflect the very essence of God let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, I want you to notice something else from this very first uh, type of verse here in Genesis 1.26. It says, us, let us make, and then it's plural, right? Our image in our likeness. Now that there's one God. There is one God. But here in the very beginning of the story, That one God exists eternally as a community. We come to know it in the story as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so there is community, there is unity in the community of the Godhead. He has a desire to be in a relational dynamic because there's that community. He's not locked up just into himself. There he goes. He created everything. He wound it up and he said good luck and then he became the absent landlord. No, that's not your God. And that's not the image in which you're created. You are created to be in that kind of community with the creator who has a plan for your life. You're made in the image of God. As we're going to see there is one who doesn't want you to understand that. But we have to take this story at face value and begin to climb ever deeper into it. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, there's something else you need to know right off the bat as well. Not only are you made in the image of God, but this image is not just one gender so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them oh my goodness what battlefronts we have today in our culture over gender something as simple as what is a man what is a woman but in the beginning of time in God's master narrative he created two genders And it doesn't just have to do with body parts, it has to do with DNA, right? The X, Y, X, X, the chromosome, that God, the master creator for the theater at hand, you need to know this, if you want to live into what it means to be made in the image of God, that I have made you, not only in my likeness, but I've made you as male and female, and there is a plan and a purpose in all of it. And so all the the scattering thoughts and the the needs to find identity down this path or that path, whether it has to do uh, with sexual preferences or uh, gender identity or uh, confusion, whatever you want to refer to it as, let's go back to the beginning of the story. And wouldn't it make sense for us to understand the big picture of what that is and any path that diverts? From the understanding that God has made us male and female, and He brings the two together, Adam and Eve in the garden, you're heading down some paths that ultimately are not going to bring the fulfillment that God, the creator, the master, the playwright, planned for your life. So be wise and be careful and to, to you going off on your own little story. Today there's so much of, "Well, it's my truth well, I don't care about your truth. This is my truth. My truth says this. Well, okay, you can live in that kind of world, but I'm telling you what, there's a big plan going on. And in this master narrative, God created, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind in his likeness, and he created them in the image, male and female, he created them. So let's just sort of move there. Now you can choose not to and that's fine, and, and, and you love in those directions and those kinds of things and try to care. But if, if you want to find that ultimately you're fitting in with what God made you to be, then you're going to endear yourself to how he has made you. And he has made you in a gender that is complementary for his glory. So uh, you need to know that you're made in the image of God, but uh, guess what? And this sort of comes with some of the direction we're going to be heading. You you need to know something else is that um, you are not God. You are not God. Genesis 2 7 says, Then the Lord, then the Lord God formed a man. And how did he form him? He formed him from dirt. He formed him from dirt. Now, I don't know about you, but you take the human anatomy, the human body, and you go, okay, here's your assignment. I want you to create a living human being out of this dirt. That's a pretty tough assignment. It's a pretty tough assignment unless what? Unless you are God. So the Lord God formed a man, and it's a a plural aspect to that terminology there, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there for that moment? I'm going to grab a little dust and bring it together and a little bit and all of a sudden he starts to form a few things and a skeleton comes together and then he puts some flesh on it. I don't know how he did it. And then all of a sudden you've got this like corpse that has no life in it just laying right there. And God, God of the universe, he he breathes into this dead corpse life. And the being comes alive. And can you imagine this? The first thing that Adam sees is he beholds the essence and the presence of his creator. It's first sight. And we think in terms of when a baby comes out of the womb, right? Like, ah, it's a traumatic thing. And try to put it on the mama's chest and and hold it. It it, it. Adam, he saw God. And God breathed into him this life. And he has a plan for him. But you need to know this. We are made in the image of God. But we are not God. And oh my. What a journey that is for us in our story sometimes. Sometimes we finally get there after a while. It's like, well, I, I guess I'm not God. And God, you are God. We're dismissive of God, the creator, the beginner, the author, of the theater, the production, the play. It's like, yeah, just ignore him. I'm just going to step up on stage and live out a few parts and lines. No, you've got to anchor yourself in the full creation of who God designed you to be. He designed you to be a living, breathing, image-bearer of himself. How you doing on that part? How you doing on that part? Do you know that part of the story? And have you endeared yourself to that part of the story? And are you unpacking that every day and week of your life? Now, because our timeline is on the creation and the fall, there's... A lot we could talk about with the creation, but I want to give you four gifts that I came across that I think are a good way to sort of unpack what happens in the creation narratives. And these are gifts of God and creation to you and I in the story. Gifts of God and creation. What do we find in that creation account that's encouraging for us in our story that we're trying to live out right now? Well, the first is this. The gift of a home. The gift of a home. It says this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. There was a place. Now, we don't know exactly where this place was, the Garden of Eden. Uh, it, it later describes four different rivers. Two of those are the Tigris and the Euphrates. And so those are both in uh, what's today, modern-day Iraq. But you need to know this. The Garden of Eden was not just some fictitious story that's in Scripture that was in some make-believe play. No, this really happened. God created man. He breathed life into him. He made him male and female. He brought the woman out of his side. And together, Adam and Eve, they were walking together in the garden. And the garden was a tangible garden, lush, beautiful, an incredible environment. He placed them in a home. He gave them a place to belong that was their own turf. I find it interesting, especially in Southern California a lot of times, because it's expensive out here for housing. And I was reading through an article the other day about the expense of housing in all the different places, not just here in Southern California of California. And I'm like, that's true. And then I find that people are excited because sometimes they don't get to purchase their own home till like their 40s or 50s because of how expensive it is, right? And there's something about that accomplishment. I, I own my own home. There's something within us that likes to have our own abode, not just renting it, but we own it. We can decorate it. We can paint it. We can add on to it or whatever. We have inside of us this place to belong in a physical presence. And God in creation, in this master story, he put Adam and Eve in a place, and you can't top the Garden of Eden. He put them in this place. Yes, and they, they were naked and they were not ashamed, scripture says. And they were in communion, communion with God, and they had this abode. And I was thinking, I wonder if Adam and Eve ever like said, how did we end up here? Why don't we end up maybe on the other side of that tree line and there's desert over there? I don't know. I wouldn't think there's desert. I don't know. But God put them there in that place. Each of us, didn't get to choose the environment that you and i were born into i was born into the rural area of north central indiana acreage abounding you maybe were born in the mountains maybe you were born in southern california maybe you were born in a very difficult place as you perceived it uh, that was very urban and very difficult You and I don't get to choose where we're put, but this idea that we are placed in a particular area, in a particular setting, don't always push back on it. God has a design and he has a place. and He says, I am going to place you here. And sometimes he moves us from one place to another by his sovereign leadership. But this abode, this ability to have a home, a place, is a part of our imago Dei. That's the term for being made in the image of God. We want a place, and God knew that at the beginning of time. And so he put his people in a place called the Garden of Eden. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place for them to grow and to flourish with the life that had been given to them. So he gave a gift of a home. Secondly, we have in Genesis 2.15 that he gave them the gift of work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. To work it and to care for it. Some of us think, oh man, I can't wait till retirement. Or I'm just ready to go see Jesus and experience heaven. Do you realize how God made you is not to sit around and do nothing or to just have leisure? He created you to be like him. He is a creator. And what's the first thing that they were exposed to when they were created? God said, hey, man, let me take you on a walk around here. Looky there. Look at you got to name it, Adam. I haven't named it yet, but he's got a really tall legs, long neck, and eats trees for inches. What do you think about that? All right, let me take you down to the water and show you some of some, uh, the uh, animals that, uh, that are swimming in this water. Look at that sunset. What did God do? He showed them his work. His work. Because God was at work. Right? For six days he created. On the seventh day he rested, it says in Genesis. So this idea that we're made in the image of God, we were made to work. And sometimes you may be in a pain of a job right now, but you need to know this: God has called and created and crafted you to have meaningful work, fulfilling work. And man, when when you're knocking it down and you're making some things happen, you're going like, sweet. So the beginning of the story, God created you in his image. Male and female, he created you. He gave you a place, an abode. And then when he placed you there, he gave you some gifts and abilities and some interest to work. And that work, though we later find out because of what happened, can be by the sweat of our brow. There is beauty in work. And so sometimes what we perceive as, oh, I just need to have rest and not be responsible to do this and that. I understand we grow weary, we grow older. We're on this side of the fall. But our eternal destiny, God's eternal plan that he started out with, was for you to have the gift, the gift of work. Uh, gift number three. Gift number three is the gift of relationship. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so here you have the story of God uh, crafting wool man, all right, taking a rib out of the side of Adam and crafting a partner because he declared everything very good, but he did not declare good, Adam being by himself. And so he created male and female. He brought Eve, and Eve was his companion, his helpmate, you know, and and they were in the garden, friends. They were naked, and I'm sure that when Adam woke up out of that sleep and he lost a rib, he looked upon Eve and said, whoa, man, and so that's where woman came from, if you didn't know where it came from, all right? God created sexuality, sensuality, companionship, male and female, to bring them together. He knew that if we're made in his image, just like he created the world, right? And he said, us, our creation, he's in community, that mankind needed to be in community. And he created a complementarian being for them to mutually enjoy one another in the community that they have To be able to, yes, have offspring, but in this context, all the way in the beginning of time, we need to understand God did not call you to be alone. Now, some people do not get married. Some people's marriage have been broken, and that's part of your tragic story that's going on right now, or you're maybe looking for a mate. Do not feel like you need to isolate yourself and say, well, I'm just going to have to suck it up and learn to be a celibate, and I'm fine. Well, God may very well bring you a companion as you continue on in your story. But this is what the adversary seeks to do. He seeks to isolate us from community of other people. And the body of Christ itself, hey, it's family night, Wednesday night, come out. Get, it's like, I don't know if I want to be in a group. I'd have to get to know people. Ah. Oh. Yeah, you might. And they might have to get to know you. But guess what? You were made for community. And when God created you, he gave you the gift in the very essence of creation of relationship. He saw that it was not good to be alone. And so in this story that we're unpacking, we have the beauty of creation that he has given the provision of a home. And then he is given the opportunity to do work, fulfilling work. I mean, can you imagine that that whole work assignment? uh, Scriptures tell Adam that he needs to go and name the animals. Why didn't God name the animals? Because he's wanting us to participate with him in his creation. And thankfully, Adam will tell you this, he was really glad that scripture says that God brought him all the animals because if he would have had to track them all down, that would have really been a lot of work. But He gave him fulfilling work by participating with him in the creation and the moving forward of the universe. And then he gave them the gift of relationship and the companionship with Eve and then a family. And then as we take the timeline further, we understand even all the way down here of a new people. The new people is the body of Christ. Gift number four is the best gift. The gift of God Himself. The gift of God Himself, Genesis 3 8, which takes the turn towards all that happened that was good with creation. It says this in Genesis 3 8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The presence. Of God in their midst. He just didn't start it up and create it. Here's this big play. He puts himself in the middle of the play. And he has communion with those that he created. God didn't need to create us. God wasn't all frizzied and, and crazy like, oh my gosh, I need some community. I need to create some living beings. I'm so lonely with the Son and the Holy Spirit here. I need to." No, God was fully sufficient himself. He chose out of the desire of his heart To bless with creation. He chose out of the desire of his heart to bring glory to himself with that which he created. But here the sustainer, the writer, the author, sustainer of life itself puts himself in the garden. I don't know about you, but if you take these four gifts, just sum it up here a little bit. You need to know this, in the story of God that you and I are participating in, you need to know that God is good, and that God is love. He has made you for a good life, for a happy home, for fulfilling work, loving relationship, and communion with God himself. Isn't that pretty cool? that's what he started out doing that's what he's going to continue to do as we walk through the story and that's what his ultimate end is god is good and god is love do you know this god this morning have you endeared your life to him and given your life back to him or has God been some conjectured thing? We do it rooted. Rooted. One of the first few weeks we walk through what has been your concept of God that's been handed down to you. Well, in creation, we see the beauty and the wonder of an incredible creator of the universe and developer of our very life. And He is good and he loves us. And what he created in the Garden of Eden was not a mistake. Our destiny of what he's going to recreate in the end of this timeline is not a mistake. And it's going to have those four things. You're going to have a place. Jesus says, do not be fearful, do not be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He told his disciples when he left, greater works than these will you do when I go to the Father. Us participating, not only in his work in this life, but in scripture says that we will rule over cities, that we will judge angels, that he's got this incredible storyline that's going to go into eternity of us working as a part of the highest created being, human, redeemed human beings. And the relationships, all oh, the rich relationships. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older, right? Yeah, I've had gray hair for a long time, but I'm getting old. I keep thinking about What are those relationships going to be like in eternity? And then I turn back to the relationships I have here in this body. And yeah, people come and go and and we see transitions happen. People move. Sometimes people decide some places different. But we have these relationships for such a time as this. And then when I look at my family and my kids, what beauty and the God's going to extend that. And then I get to know intimacy with Jesus, with God himself. He doesn't walk in the cool of a garden because I can't grow things very much that stay alive in my backyard. But he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own in my everyday, whether I'm driving or I'm in my home or I'm working. God is good and God is love. And that's great. But today, and we're not going to anchor too long there because I didn't want to leave on too heavy of a note. But this first part is about creation, but it's also about the fall. The self-sufficient, eternal God lovingly creates a perfect creation with humanity as his crowning work. Falling for Satan's temptation, humanity rebels, and sin enters the world, bringing death, pain, and strife. The story takes a dramatic turn. And as the story takes a dramatic turn, we have to lean into a wise understanding of what happened then so we know about what we need to be doing now so we can look to what needs to happen in the future. It says this in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God gave them license to eat of everything, but not this tree. Some people say, why do that? That's like leaving a gun out and saying, don't use it. I don't know about that. I think God had A will and a purpose and intention for don't eat of that particular tree. But he also, I think, placed that command in there because he wanted to see obedience on behalf of the human beings he created. Would they obey or would they not? He placed within them a free will. He placed within them this free will to love and to choose and to live in community with him. But then a third player takes place in this storyline, and it's Satan. And Satan, he has a playbook in mind. Now, we don't know the origins of evil. That's not spoken to us here. You can go to Isaiah 14, and it depicts that Satan was Lucifer, and he thought that he should be God, and and he had this desire in the heavenly realms to be worshipped or whatever. He was cast out of those heavenly realms, and so were a bunch of other angels that we now know as fallen uh, spirits or demonic spirits. So there, there's this whole subject of evil that all of a sudden, boom, just comes on the scene of this theater play. We don't know the origins and all that, but we have to deal with the reality of what this act beholds. And this act beholds the one named Lucifer, Satan, and he has a playbook, he has a scheme, as surely as I was talking to Dimitri over here before service. We were talking about how'd your game go because he coaches uh, down in San Diego and, and he lost a game he said he should have won. And we were talking about it. And we, we, I, I said, I'm going to be talking about Satan's playbook today. Well, Dimitri, he, he played Division I uh, defense and uh, he knows the playbook, right? It's important. Well, Satan has a playbook, but what's in his playbook? And as we were interacting, he was on the same thread. If I had time, I'd bring you up here and you could preach what you just shared with me when I walked in, brother. And um, the playbook of Satan, there's three things I just want to highlight real quick here. The first is he brings confusion. Confusion about truth. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, God's spirit, right? And God came and dwelt amongst his creation. We have... Jesus coming not only as the representation of God, but the incarnate God. In this story, Satan is a spirit entity, but possesses this earthly animal, the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? <laughs> It is, it's not don't blame evilness. I'm sure Adam's just sitting there watching this whole thing when she took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and whatever fruit it was. it wasn't necessarily an apple and it's like, well, whatever, okay. He was just sort of the uh, do-nothing bystander husband. They're both in this big mistake together. Satan comes and he says, "Did God did God really say?" he misquotes what God said. Doesn't he do this all the time, Satan? He says, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. God didn't say that. He said, don't eat of this one particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil. But he comes and he throws doubt in the minds of the human being concerning the creator. Did God really say this? Now, if you were to look at the life of Jesus and the temptations of Jesus before he began his earthly ministry, guess what? It's the same playbook. He comes to Jesus in the first temptation and says, well, I mean, if you're, if you're really the son of God, are you really the son of God? Come on. If you're really the son of God, then, you know, turn the bread into stone. Or I, I, stone into bread." It's like, really? <laughs> we were talking about this. Satan had the audacity to approach Jesus, God made in the flesh, and try to get him to doubt truth, to be confused about truth. Are you really the son of God? Come on now. And if he did that to Jesus, he's going to be doing it to you. And how is he confusing you about truth right now? Truth about who you are, truth about this world, truth about God's purposes. The fall came. And in the fall was a ton of confusion, and the confusion seems to be getting ratcheted all back up in our world today. There's a second uh, thing that was a part of his playbook, and that is presumption. Presumption about judgment. Genesis 3, 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Presumption on the grace of God. He, come on. You take of that fruit? Really? You're going to die? That's pretty severe. I don't really think that. Do you think that? Come on, Eve. Come on, Adam. You will not certainly die, will you? Guess what he did to Jesus? Same playbook. He said, all right. right, Yeah, you are the son of God. All right. So, hey. Son of God, here, I'm going to take you up to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. If you throw yourself down, everybody is going to see that you're going to live, you're good, and they're going to think you're a great person. The second temptation of Christ brings in this whole same thing, a presumption of judgment. You can go your own way, make your own decisions. God's going to look it over. He's not going to mind. Can I just simply say this? Because I could park here for a long time. I'm very concerned in our Christian world today that we have lost a deep sensitivity to the fact of God's judgment. It doesn't mean he's mean. We said he's loving. He cares for us. He has a plan for us. He's a good God. But in his very essence, evil cannot abide And there has to be a punishment and a judgment upon it. We know that Christ took that judgment for us and we have hope through him. But the subject of judgment seems to be skirted an awful lot today. There is a day coming when every one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't put fear and trepidation into me. But I tell you what, it humbles me. It makes me want to seek work, to walk with the Lord in his will every day of my life. And to make sure that by his grace and his power and his wisdom that I walk in a way that's not presumptive of his grace. Playbook number three item is ambition about self. Genesis 3.5 says this. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God himself created us in his image to worship him. He wants us to accomplish things. He's given us the gift of work. But there is a tipping point sometimes when we start to think it's about us and not about him. He wants us to horsepower up to make things happen. But this third playbook tactic of Satan is ambition about self. My way, my world, my home, my work, my career, my success, my family. You you name it. And it's introspection. And he's doing it, Satan is doing it here with Adam and Eve. God knows that when you eat, you're going to know good from evil. Guess what? He's keeping you away from being like him. Isn't this incredible? It's a simple playbook. He doesn't deviate from it much. Satan doesn't. When you look at all of history, this is the very same thing that Satan, Lucifer himself, was enticed by. I deserve worship in the heavenly realms. What? You are a created being, Lucifer. I deserve worship. I should should be getting, getting more out of this whole thing. He comes right to the human beings. He says the same, there's something in this. He's keeping you away from that tree of good and evil because there's something in it that you're going to be missing. And you can be like God. Same tactic, same playbook. Confusion about truth, presumption about judgment, and ambition about self. Could I ask you, as it relates to the fall, which one of those three are you prone to the most? I close with this. This whole aspect of what God's doing in the beginning of this master narrative, this story, this theater play, is you need to understand that there is an expression of God's love going on. And the Lord... God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This wasn't God being a killjoy. This was God protecting you. I don't want you to have to know evil. How much of our world is consumed? Brokenness in our own life, brokenness around us, what we see on headline news at night. The evil of the world. God's intention was not for Adam and Eve to experience evil. This was not a God who was being a killjoy, keeping his human creation from something that was beneficial to them as it relates to uh, knowledge of good and evil. He was trying to protect them. Evil somehow, we don't understand the story of the serpent and Satan in the world, but it was there and he was wanting to protect them from it. They ate of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. What happened? They were expelled from the garden. He kicked them out of the garden, and he placed angels with swords saying, you cannot come back in here. There was all kinds of things that started to fall out from this knowledge of good and evil. He didn't want them to take them of the tree of, of eternal life because then there would have been no hope, so he expelled them from the garden. But they lost their place. They lost their work. Their relationship was broken. Even amongst Adam and Eve, there was division that came. And they lost the presence of God because they sinned, and the timeline, the story is about God's redemption through all of this, and it's redemption in your life too. Here this morning, would you, could you possibly envision an incredible storyline for you where those things are restored? God's expression of love was to protect us from certain things, so don't take His no in life as being a meanie. The second is. The expression of hope. In Galatians 3 14 and 15, so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you. I will put enmity between you and the woman which happened, and between you and your offspring, your offspring and hers. But then it has this line He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus. It's like sticking your head, uh, foot on a snake, a serpent, right? And that snake may bite the heel, but then Jesus crushed that. And this is brought back up in the storyline, and this is exactly a foreshadowing of the hope that was going to be brought through Jesus Christ, the remedy, if you will, for this brokenness and this fallenness. So we have... Creation and the fall, the self-sufficient and eternal God lovingly creates a perfect creation with humanity as his crowning work. Falling for Satan's temptation, humanity rebels and sin enters the world, bringing death, pain, and strife. And instead of giving up on humanity, God promises that from the womb of a woman will come the one who will crush Satan's head. Will you pray with me? Lord, here this morning as we begin this journey, may you endear us to the wonder and the beauty of all that you're doing. Not only from the beginning of time until the end of time and the beginning of eternity, but to all that you're doing in our story this week. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has felt the blow of fallenness in their life, distance from you, may they look to you the author the sustainer and the finisher of our life and faith and commit themselves to follow you lord we thank you for the work that jesus brought in crushing the head of the serpent and we ourselves stand here to thank you jesus for all that you have done and are doing and will do in our life in our families and in our world we worship you. Will you stand with me and let's close.